Good morning, everybody. I'm excited to see you all. I have gotten to spend a lot of time with you all this weekend. I have had more spirit-filled moments in the last few days, so y'all just get ready because I'm just going to vomit that all out on you this morning. It's been almost overwhelming, which has been fantastic. Um, we, Phil just finished the announcements, but I want to uh, bring up one more person, I, and I want to connect this to something that we talked about last time I was here a couple weeks ago. So we, we went on a prayer journey together, right, and an Isaiah 58 journey together, and I hope you all were able to spend some real time in that chapter. God still has not let me out of Isaiah 58. Um, he's got some real wisdom in there that clearly I've not gotten yet, so he keeps um, writing, running me back to that chapter. But as I've talked to many of you about what's come up in this last week in Isaiah 58 and what God's been talking to you about, one of you specifically has let me know that God's really put something on her heart for the church. Um, and so I want her to come up here and, and share that with you. So Miss Didi, would you come up for a few minutes? We're going we're gonna to hear what, what God's been putting on Miss Didi's heart. It's not karaoke, I promise. Well, maybe. But maybe. So I'm Dee Dee Thomas. I started coming here in the fall virtually of 2021. I really formally kind of joined as one does here in January 2022. Um, but just go back a little bit. 2020, my resolution for that year was I'm going to lose 50 pounds. Well, we all know what happened in 2020. I did not lose 50 pounds. I gained a whole truckload of weight. And I've been working to get that off. And as of now, I've lost about 85 pounds of that weight. So I, I've hit my original goal. Now I'm like on to the next goal of just continuing to be fit. And in my evolution, like fitness and working out has been a really big part of my life. And I've just realized like over the past couple of months, I was actually at the women's retreat when Mia and I went on this great hike where I was like out of breath dripping with sweat, but I realized that it was a moment that I had where I was like doing something that I loved in communion with God. And as much as I do work out, it is rarely in like a love-filled space with other believers. And so I just want to put this out there, like let's do this together. Like, it, the sun's going to be going down later, it's springtime, um, we could, it's, it's really open, we could go for walks after church on Sundays. We could do yoga on Friday nights. Like, if you're interested, if this sounds appealing to you, if you want to just get more fit, if you just want to walk and pray with people, like, I'm open to suggestions from everyone. Just email Marcy and, you know, just say, you know, do it, fitness, whatever, and we can come up with something. Like, I feel like there's times that we're often, like, whether it's Friday evenings or Saturday mornings, or Sunday after church that are like a place to start. It, it, it can be anything. Like I've, I've seen people kayaking on the Hudson River, like that could be the thing. We could, we could do ultimate Frisbee in Central Park. There's no agenda right now. I just wanna know who is interested. It could really be walks you know, after church. So if you're interested, let Marcy know and hopefully we can come together and make this a worshipful space outside of this building. Thank you, dude. Thank you, Dee. I love when God talks to us about, you know, we often think it has to be something in the church. You know, it has to be something connected, but what better than having a prayer walk in God's creation together, right? And just spending some time letting him soak us. So if you're interested in doing that, let us know. I'm excited that God's put that on Didi's heart um, to do something a little different. Listen, we are transitioning from the Old Testament, right? And some of you all are so happy 
I understand. But we are going to start looking at the New Testament this morning. And, and listen, I have nerded out over this stuff. Um, this idea of who Jesus is has just been weighing heavy. I mean, I sit in my living room and laugh out loud and run and get my phone and send text messages. Listen to what I just read. People are like, you're, are you on something? Like, what's up? Yeah, a little bit. I'm a little bit on something, right? This New Testament stuff. So Jesus now arrives. We've been talking about the covenants, right? We talked about that. We talked about the prophets and who they told us Jesus was gonna be and who they were expecting him to be, which are two different things. We're gonna talk about that here in just a minute. Probably different than what you expect him to be too, right? And then we talked about the silent years, supposedly, although they were anything but silent. And we talked about the Maccabean revolt. We talked about some of the things that God had put on my heart about Isaiah 58, saying that we really need to look at what our call to action is. What does God want us to do? And so now we come out of Malachi and then we go 420 years into the future and we come to the book of Matthew. There is no connection. Don't read the last sentence in Malachi and then read the first sentence in Matthew and be like, that makes no sense. No, it doesn't. They're not meant to be read in chronological order. Listen, Malachi gave some really important words there at the end of the Old Testament that lead into the New Testament. We'll talk about that. But, but now we've got these four gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, right? I know y'all can sing that song from Sunday school when you were kids, right? Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. We've got these four gospels. They're called synoptic in some ways because Matthew, Mark, and Luke have some of the same occurrences, some of the same references, some of the same teaching, some of it in the exact same words. And then you've got John, which tends to stand a little bit more alone. So as we move through this next few weeks, I'm going to be sending you bios on the disciples. So get ready. You're going to get about three disciples a week, who they were, what they did. I want you to get to know the people that walked a long time and spent time with Jesus. We need to understand that. And over the next two weeks, Phil and Moses will continue to teach on those gospels as well. But you're going to get some emails about that. So we've left the prophets, we've left Isaiah, and welcome to New York. And, uh, and now, at the end of Malachi, he gives us this call to repentance, right? He gives us an action step there. He gives us this call to repentance, and then the Bible turns to Matthew. Matthew 1, and everybody goes Matthew 1 to verse 18, because that's where the birth story is. Matthew 1 through 17 is so-and-so begat so-and-so, and so-and-so begat so-and-so, and everybody's like, I am not reading that. I don't even know what that means, right? But the important thing is, is that's what's tying you back to the Old Testament. That's showing you the thread from the Old Testament and all of the people who went before Jesus. So that's, a, that's another Bible study for another time, and, and it's super interesting, but it shows us that connection to Abraham and Jacob and David and Joseph, right? And so that lineage runs Jesus all the way to, to Joseph, his earthly father. They're an interesting Bible study, but then you get the birth story. He is here. Imagine if you are an Israelite who has been waiting and waiting and waiting, right? And waiting and waiting. And now he's here after hundreds of years in some cases, we are generations removed from who the prophets were speaking to. They've now been taught this over and over and over and now he's here. And Galatians 4.4 tells us, right? When the time is right, God will bring his son. When the right time came, God sent his son, born of a woman, subject to the law, right? Galatians 4.4, Paul talks about that. Well, the time is here. The gospels were written in about 40 to 60 AD, 
But now we get to look at them in full form. They are the most full picture of Jesus's ministry on earth. What is the purpose of them? We need to understand that, right? Probably, if you think about it, if you've been in church any extended amount of time in your life, the most, the place you've spent the most time is in those four books, right? It just in general in teaching, in Sunday school, those kind of things. They are a written full account of Jesus' birth, his ministry, his crucifixion, his resurrection. But they are not a story, right? They're not a story. They are a call to action. More than anywhere else that we've seen in, in recent days as we've been looking at the Bible, these books require a response from us. Now I'm excited. I like to do something, right? I like, it, I like it when something requires a response. We see these teachings, but they're not just to be read. They're a direct message to us. They're saying direct things to us. We've been talking about this idea of who do you say I am, right? Who do we say Jesus is? Well, we need to read about what he did and the way that he lived his life and the way that he interacted with people in order to understand that. Jesus asked that very question in Matthew 16. Who do you say I am? We're going to come back to that. Put a pin in that, right? But first, let's think about the people that, that um, were on the stage when Jesus entered here. The Roman Empire is in full swing, right? They're allowing the Jews to have their religion. They're allowing them to have some of their culture, but not all of it. And the Romans have, have taken over. There's chaos in some areas. There's war and fighting. There's confusion. We saw in the Old Testament who Jesus was promised to be, right? All those places that we read that the prophets talked about him. But at this point, they don't have the New Testament to, to now see the full fruition. They're thinking about their expectation from the Old Testament. They don't have a New Testament to read. The New Testament doesn't get even started to be written until about 40 years after Jesus' death. They don't have that. But they have these promises, and now they have Jesus here, and they have to reconcile the two. And believe it or not, as exciting as it is that he's here, people were pissed. What? Right? Why is there consternation that Jesus is here now? Why is there fighting? Why is there confusion? Not unlike many of us today who have individual expectations of who Jesus is, and when he doesn't meet that, Everything goes off the cliff, right? Same thing for the Israelites. They were waiting on something that they believed they needed. They had an expectation. They had a thought process about who Jesus was going to be. So do you. I want you to think about who you think Jesus is. What do you expect from him? Just go ahead and start running that script in your mind. I expect him to do this. I expect him to do this, right? Because you all have it. We all have that script, we all have that individual expectation. You know, the small arc of Jesus that we get to see in the Gospels is the birth. We don't get to see a lot about his childhood. And no one really knows. There was some, in 1946, they had this huge discovery right at, right at the north part of the Dead Sea where they, they found the Dead Sea Scrolls. If you haven't studied that, you should because it's super interesting. But there is some talk about his childhood there. But none of that is in our Hebrew Bible. So we don't have a lot of, of thought process about his childhood. His ministry started at 30 and it only lasted for three years. Think about all those thousands of years waiting on the Messiah. And they get three years of him there in earthly life with them, right? The beginning of his ministry is different depending on the gospel you look at. You've got Matthew, which is the birth story. And then they escape to Egypt that Joseph's told to take his family to Egypt. And then it comes back and John the Baptist baptizes Jesus. And then he goes into the wilderness and he has temptation. And then we see the full sermon on the mount. It's good stuff, 
right? And it's exciting stuff, and you're reading that, and you're like, wow, and then this happens, and then this happens. It's crazy. Mark doesn't have the birth story. Much of the rest of it tracks the same, but we start to see the miracles and the ministry of Jesus pretty quick in that book. That pretty quickly comes up. Then Luke has a longer story about the birth and another ancestry of Jesus. So you're reading the birth story and then you get to these verses and you're like, oh no, somebody begat somebody again. And there's like 27 verses of who begat who, right? It's another ancestry and genealogy because the, the writers of the gospels knew how important that was to connect that back to everybody that had come before for us to understand the promises that were fulfilled, right? So you get another ancestry and then you get the miracles. And then John is an entirely different start. And he announces and pronounces Jesus was the word from the beginning. He takes us all the way back to connection with Genesis. He runs that loop all the way back. And then he has some different experiences and different stories of Jesus, right? And John tells us in John 21, 25, he says, Jesus did many other things. If I wrote them all down, the whole world would not have room for the books written. So to Phil's point, there's no way we're going to go through four Gospels, right, and teach all that. But you have an opportunity to sit wherever you sit and read this. I would encourage you to do that. These are incredible stories about your Savior, about the person who came to save you, about who you were promised. But we have an expectation of him. And if we don't look in here to see who he actually is, we're going we're gonna to cross paths, And we're not going to get to see the fullness of the Savior that was given to us. We have to be able to read this, right, to get the full picture. It's the best story ever. But remember, at this point in the gospel, it had been yet to come. Jesus was here, but they hadn't seen the New Testament. So everyone was expecting what they believed Jesus was going to be. And they were about to challenge Jesus in many ways. Jesus tells us who he is, what we can expect of him, what he expects from us, but we have to read it. They didn't have that ability to read that, but they knew what the promises were from the Old Testament. So the Jews at this point are awaiting something. They're awaiting a conqueror. They're awaiting someone that's going to free them as God's chosen people from Roman rule. They're awaiting the hammer, right? We talked about that a couple weeks ago, that Judah, the Maccabean, was the hammer. They're awaiting the hammer. They're awaiting someone that's going to come in and fight their enemies and bring them back into a place where they have autonomy, where they're able to rule over themselves, where they're able to live their lives um, worshiping the God that they want to worship, They need to be rescued and restored. They need a conquering king. Remember all they had been through in the Bible up to this point, right? Remember everything they had been through, all of the back and forth, and now they're again under Roman rule. They're again being oppressed in some ways. They're still a divided kingdom, right? And so remember all that they had been through and what they're expecting. Listen, Jesus was the rescuer and the restorer, but not from what they thought. Jesus came to rescue them from sin and to rescue them from themselves. And we do the same thing the Jewish people did at that point as we're waiting for him to rescue us from something external. And he's trying to rescue you from something right here. It's right here. It lives in you. That's what you need to be rescued from. And he knew that. That's why he came in human form. Yesterday, I went to a Messianic Jewish service over in Brooklyn. It's a story for another time. Crazy good. But one of the things the pastor said over there really made me think about this idea. He talked about the exodus of the heart. 
There was this exodus for the Jewish people, right? They were brought out of captivity and into a place where they could have a relationship with God. But now Jesus is trying to exodus the heart. Now he's saying, I'm going after you, not the external stuff. If you will listen and let me rend your heart to the things that are important to me, then I can take all those other things out. I can release you from whatever bondage you're in. I can release you from whatever chains are sitting on you. I can release you from whatever's heavy on you. I can do all those things for you. Jesus came as a conqueror, but not in the way that they expected. They thought he was gonna come in with an Uzi, right? Start blowing people away. Now listen, I like that scenario. I'm all about that, right? But Jesus' Uzi looks different than what we think, right? But you know what's funny is we don't even know what it is. How are you going to employ it? How are you going to employ everything Jesus has for you to scrape all that sin out, to die to self, to give room and capacity for Jesus if you don't even know who he is and what he has for us? We have to read the Bible. We have to read and absorb. We don't want to read it as a story. We want to read it as something for us. If I told you there was a book that had every answer to everything you needed on the shelf at Barnes and Noble. It would be sold out in two minutes, right? All of y'all be over there after this. We wouldn't be able to get into the Tribeca Barnes and Noble because Marcy said there's a book on the shelf that has everything I need. Guess what? It's right here. You don't have to go to Barnes and Noble. We'll give you one, right? We'll give you one. And the four books that I'm talking about today are so important for two reasons. They have everything you need and they have everything you need to do in response. Everything you need to do in response. Jesus doesn't pick up conventional weapons in fights, right? But he begins to teach. He begins to unfold God's will. He begins to unfold God's purpose, he wasn't loud and raucous all the time. He held his authority and purpose with confidence and grace. He knew what he needed to do. But he was very clear. There is no confusion in the Gospels about how we need to, to interact with our God and how we need to interact with God's people. There's no confusion about that. It's clear. That's what I love about it. It's not confusing. I don't read it and think, hmm. Now in Leviticus, it tells me to slaughter a lamb. I don't think my HOA is going to allow me to do that, right? I don't think I can do those things. Listen, the stuff that he tells us in the Gospels is absolutely critical and absolutely doable right here, right now in 2023. And if we don't understand it and we can't do it, then we continue to push Jesus back and the devil gets his way every time. Because you know what the devil's favorite thing is as Christians who don't read the Bible, he doesn't want you to not be a Christian. That's not helpful to him. What's helpful to him is Christians who don't know the Jesus that they serve, who don't know who he is. Because you don't bring his power into situations. You don't bring his power into your family. You don't bring his power into your workplace. You don't bring his power into your own mind. You don't bring his power into your own addictions and your own sin. So guess who is playing around in those areas? The devil, it's one or the other. And we don't know the Jesus we serve. In Matthew 10, 34, Jesus is talking to his disciples and teaching them. And you all hear more about that next week. Shay, can you put that up for me? Or, or Sarah, can you put that up for me? Matthew 10, 34. It says, don't imagine that I came to bring peace to the earth. I came not to bring peace, but a sword. He came to bring the sword. There's no confusion about that, but what is the sword for? 
You gotta think about that. Because what we want him to do is slay all the external enemies. We want him to slay all the external stuff. We want him to slay our circumstances. We want him to slay everything that's bothering us. And what he's saying is, I need to slay your heart. I need to slay the sin. I need to slay your disobedience. You're at the end of the sword, not something else. And what we do is picture in our mind that Jesus is going after everything else so that we can be peaceful. And the only way you're going to be peaceful is when you get at the pointy end of that spear. Y'all have heard me say that a million times. That's my army analogy, right? Get at the pointy end of that spear and let it do what it's supposed to do. Jesus brought the sword for you. The sword is for you. He wants to surgically work on you. He wants to cut out the things that he never intended for you to have. And he wants to replace them with the things that he talks about in those four books of the Bible. He wants to fill it in for you. He's clear about that. If you read the Gospels, you realize that not one part of them is not a call to respond. Not one part. There's not one part in there, I promise you. Not one part in there that you're going to read and think, yeah, that's not for me. If, it is, if that is the case, call me because I want to hear about it. Right? Like, I'm all good. Dude, I need to learn from you then. Because I was reading them in preparation for this, and there's not one part that God wasn't like, and respond to this. And do this. Right? And respond to this. There's so many commands and teaching. You can expect he is schooling you as his child. Here are your instructions. Just the way we school our own kids. I love you, and I don't want you to miss any of the benefit I have from you. And I don't want you to carry around anything that you weren't intended to carry around. I don't want you to have anything I didn't bring to you. Right? He shows us miracles. He shows us healing. He shows us God's power and God's mercy. He shows us love. He shows us wisdom. And make no mistake, he is requiring a response from you. What does it mean to you? What are you going to do with it? He came to do many things on this earth, right? As John says, more than we can possibly talk about. But all of it dwindles down to one thing. He needs your heart. He needs you to know him. He needs to know you. And he needs you to let him into every single area of your life so that he can clean it out and put in the good stuff that he has for you. It's a call to, to repentance, a call to serve, a call for you to reveal the glory of God. It's a lot. As I was reading it last week, I was sitting at my desk like, okay. Right now I'm sweating. I need one of those big fans that models have, you know, that like blow. But there's not, you couldn't put enough fans on me to blow all my wrinkles back. So we'll just go with this. But, the, but I need like one of those big fans. That, as we read the Gospels, it ought to be heavy. In the best way, it ought to be heavy. It's a gift. You don't have to figure it out. You don't have to wonder. Jesus tells you. He teaches you. And oh, by the way, if you're a different kind of learner, he says it point blank. And then he'll give you a parable. And then somebody else will talk about it. And then he'll put somebody through something and let you watch. And then thank God we don't have to go through that. We get to watch somebody else and we're like, oh man, let me get that lesson right? Same thing we tell our kids all the time. Why don't you learn from me? Why don't you learn from the lessons I'm telling you? And they're like, no, 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 I'm good. I'll just figure it out for myself. I have a 10-year-old that tells me, I'm good, mom. Okay. Then 20 minutes later, the tears, right? We do the same thing. I'll just figure it out. God's like, it's right there. What are you doing? 
How many times does a problem come up or something that you're wrestling with? You're not sure how to interact with somebody. You're not sure how to love on somebody well. You're not sure how to to get out of a frustration or a sorrow. You're not sure how to, to enter into a situation. And you just sit in anxiety and fear and confusion. And you never go pick up the Bible and look to see what Jesus did. There isn't a whole lot of situation if any, that you're going to be able to come up with that you can't find in the Gospels and see what Jesus did about it, right? I'm not one of those people that wears the what would Jesus do shirt, but maybe we should bring those back, right? Just at least have the thought process because what do we do? We call somebody who's not praying for us and we ask them what we should do. Probably not a good idea, right? We run to Barnes & Noble and get self-help books, and I'm not against self-help books. Don't have people calling me that wrote self-help books. I'm not against them. But if you're doing it in in lieu of the Bible, we got a problem, right? We sit in fear and anxiety. We We get frozen, and the devil loves it. He's like, don't pick up that Bible. Don't look at those promises that God has for you. Don't get any of them. Because the best thing you can do is be ignorant to what is sitting right in front of you. It's right there and I just need you blind to it. Because then you won't get any of it and you can't share it and you can't leak it out anywhere else. That's what I want. I want you to be ignorant of it. Right? And Jesus is saying we have to counter that. We have to come in hard to that. A lot of you guys talk to me about this calling thing. I've had a lot of conversations about this. Whoops. About calling Clearly, the devil didn't want me to talk about this. Um, This idea of calling. Jesus is calling you to a whole lot of stuff right here. And until you've read it, until you understand it, you don't need to worry about any other calling. You don't need to worry about what you need to do and where's my passion and what do I need to do to serve. You need to understand this first. Then Jesus can reveal to you far more than you are ever going to come up with on your own through conversation. All of our calling is in those four books. Jesus tells us that, right? He's calling us to action and response. We have to dig deeper over the next few weeks. Let's ponder some definitive statements, right? Jesus makes a whole bunch of I am statements. Phil's going to talk about those next week. He makes some definitive statements. They're in the book of John, pretty clear. If you want to go ahead and read those before Phil comes up next week, it'd be great if you let God talk to you about those ahead of time. And then Phil's going to come in and talk to you about what God's told him about it. They're really important statements. Jesus tells you. There's no confusion about who he is. We've been asking this question to you, and you're like, I don't know. Who is he? Read the Bible. It says. It's not confusing. Right? We all act like it's some big puzzle somewhere. It's really elusive. He knows people are wrestling with it, and it's of extreme importance. So he answered it for us. He's like, I'm not trying to confuse you. It's not a game. It's not an escape room, right, where I got to do 37 different things to get out. That's not what we're doing. The lock has already been taken off. Go get what's in there for you, right? Jesus is a mirror to you. He reflects your hopes. He reflects your duty. He reflects your, your, the wisdom that you need. He reflects all that back to you. You need to look in that mirror and say, who am I expecting Jesus to be dependent on my needs, And then I need to go back and look at who Jesus is. And it doesn't have anything to do with my individual need. He is who he is. That is the truth. You can stand on it. It won't change depending on your individual needs. Thank God. 
It has the same power, the same grace, the same mercy, the same love, regardless of who you are looking in that mirror. You get the same benefit from it that the person next to you does. All you have to do is look. That's all you have to do. We see Jesus in our own image instead of seeing ourselves in his image. Stop making him who you need him to be and go after who he really is because it's way better. I promise you, it's so much better, right? Jesus preached during this very tumultuous time, and I love Gandhi said this about him. This was Gandhi's statement about Jesus. He said, the thing that he found most attractive about Jesus was that he wasn't someone who just taught it. He lived it. He was, he was an exemplar of his own teaching. Are you, are you an exemplar of Jesus' teaching? If Jesus was to come to you now, would he say that you understand what he taught you and that you're trying to live it out? It's important. What would Jesus say, right? Who are we? We gotta read the gospels. We have to pray. We have to think about this idea of who Jesus is and who he's saying we are. There's a lot to respond to, guys. You're going to read it and be like, oh my gosh. But listen, Jesus repeats himself a lot. You know why? Because we're a bunch of bozos, right? That's why three of the gospels have some of the same exact wording in them, because he knows you need to hear it again. You need to hear it again. If you read something again, don't assume, oh, well, I already read this. That's redundant. No, Jesus probably having you read it again for a reason. You probably better stop right there. Right, and go, what's my revelation right here? We have to know who he was. We have to know who he said he was. Jesus is the fulfillment of all of God's promises. But what are you expecting him to be? And is it in line with who he is? Because it's the only way that you're gonna garner all the benefit from him. You have to understand that. Do you know him? Who he said he is, he tells us who he said you are, he tells us. It's not confusing, it's here, right? What he has for you, he tells you. People are like, I just wanna hear from God. I just wanna hear from God. It's right here. <laughs> and, I only, and I only say that so ex explosively to you because God keeps saying it to me, right? Every time I say I wanna hear from you, he's like, hello. Can you pick up? I have like 20 of these on my desk, right? Because I'm a big old nerd with Bibles. I have like every translation. I have the Quran on my desk. I have the Torah on my desk. You know, God's like, what do you need? Do you need somebody to come in your house and personally put a, you know, a bullhorn up to your ear and be like, this is what I said. And oh, by the way, it hasn't changed in thousands of years. You don't even have to like go find the revised 72nd edition. Nope. It's right here. It's all the same. We are lazy. And we like the confusion and chaos of acting like we don't know because this requires work. It requires a response. It requires obedience. It requires a call to action. And there's nothing better for you to spend your time on. I can guarantee you that. There's nothing better to spend your time and energy on but we're scared of that because what is he gonna make me give up? What is he gonna make me look at? What is he gonna make me realize about myself? What is he gonna make me clean out? Guess what? It's gonna be the greatest thing you've ever been a part of. And it's limitless. He doesn't say, here's your trial offer for a week and then you need to pay 10.99. It's free. It's free to you. 
It doesn't ever change. It has nothing to do with your circumstances. It has nothing to do with what people around you would tell you is different. It's the same today, yesterday, and forever. And all you have to do is pick it up and look at it. And then realize how he's individually talking to you and start the movement forward. What I'm hoping is what we can do in this next season is understand it and then start the movement forward. I'm not asking you to read four gospels, get all of it written down and then be like, all right, I got it all. No, I understand that. That's not what we're asking you to do. I'm asking you to pray for revelation about where God wants you to start. And you can't do that unless you read his word. And then when you're reading and you see something, it catches your eye. Most of the time, if it's something you don't like, be really careful about that, right? If you're reading it, you're like, ah, I don't like that part. Uh, go back. There's a reason you don't like it. If we just stayed in the parts of the Bible we like, we would lose a whole lot of power. Read the Gospels, and when God stops you somewhere, and when something convicts you, when something makes you uncomfortable, sit right there until you get it, until you understand what he's saying. Sit right there. Until you start to feel the peace come in. Until you start to feel what he's trying to show you. Because I guarantee you, whatever he's trying to show you and whatever he's trying to take away is worth it. It's worth your time. It's worth every bit of energy that you'll put into that. You know, as I've been praying over this, and we were in here Friday night, we were praying, and God's got such exciting things for the people in this church. Exciting things we're going to miss it because we don't know him. We don't know where he is. We're not sure what he has for us and we're not seeking. We have to seek. We have to get in this book and seek who he is with the intention that I'm not going to miss one thing that he has for me and I'm not going to miss one thing that he might have for somebody else. Not one thing. I don't want to leave one thing on the table. It's a call to action. If you read the Gospels, even just the first three chapters of one of the Gospels, and you're not convicted, call me. We got something we got to break off there. We got to figure something out. I need to take you to the power washer or something. I don't know. Right? Because there's no way to read them and not be convicted. There's no way to read them and not see how much Jesus loves you. There's no way to read it and not see how much he cares about you. There's no way to read it and not see the energy and power that he's trying to bring to you every single day. And you can't read it and not see that. It's for you. It's the greatest love story ever written. The greatest love story ever told to you. You will never find anything else that shows you how much God loves you than to read the book that he gave you and absorb it. So I encourage you to do that. It's a call to action, guys. It's the same call to action out of Isaiah 58. If you look at Isaiah 58, it was told hundreds of years before, and Isaiah's talking about the same things Jesus talks to us about. This is what I have for you, but I need your attention. I need your, your, your full obedience. I need your willingness to surrender. You know, we're standing up here singing a little while ago, all these lyrics. I surrender. Do you? because it's a nice song. It doesn't mean anything if you're not going to do it. It doesn't mean anything if you're not going to lay it down, go to his word, and say, what do you have for me? I want all of it. I'll take it all. 
when you're singing the lyrics with this incredible worship team that we have, think about what you're saying. Are you willing to respond? Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this time this morning. Thank you for this word that you've given us, this Bible. What an incredible gift. Give us the energy to spend time there. Give us the energy to go into the lives of these disciples, to go into the life of Jesus, to stand there on those roads with them, stand in those interactions with him and those houses with him, stand in those places of teaching with him and listen with real ears to hear all the things that he has for us. We don't want to miss anything. And God, you've put such an urgency on me to make sure that the people in this church don't miss anything God has for them. You love them so much. You want to pour out so much. But you need us to get at the pointy end of that sword and let you do the surgery. You need us to get at the pointy end of that sword and let you carve out the things that were never supposed to be there so that you can give us all the equipping, all the capacity we need. All of your promises can reside in our hearts. We're grateful that you're willing to be part of that with us, God. We ask that you give us the energy to respond and that we continue to respond over and over and over, that we continue to come back for more because you have a limitless supply of everything that you want to give us. So grateful for that. We lift up this church. We ask for blessing and favor on this next season. We ask for blessing on favor and favor on, on who's going to come in here and be part of this with us. We're so grateful to even get to be a sliver of this, of this kingdom of yours. Help us to take it with urgency. Help us to take it with, with a real passion for who you are and who you can be. We ask all this in your son's name. Amen.